0: It is so much fun to watch a little one grow up. One of the most exciting aspects of of seeing a little one grow is when when a baby first begins to to utter words. And dads, we know what their first words always are. Dada, of course. That's their first words. Well, almost always. But another word that those babies learn really fast is the word mine. And They use it with a greater degree of frequency when they're around other little ones. You start hearing the word mine quite a bit. But you know what? Babies aren't the only ones with this kind of a mindset. In reality, the world is definitely a me first kind of world. It's about me. Now, most of us have a sense that this isn't really the right kind of attitude. But then if we're honest, we really don't mind it when things go our way. And if people are serving us, well, that's usually okay. The reverse, sometimes not so much. So is this me first attitude? Is that okay? Is, is that right? Is this the way we should think and live? Or is there another way? Is there a better way? Well, this morning, we'll be looking in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, as we think about these questions together. Now, last week, we looked at Philippians 2, 1 through 4, and we saw that God had called the church at Philippi to be unified, to to be committed to each other, to to have unity within the church family. And as we continue our journey through the book of Philippians, we're going to see Paul flesh that idea out. How does a church maintain unity? Well, a critical aspect of that is what we're going to read about today in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Let's jump in For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this text teaches that you should have the same mindset as Jesus. You should have the same mindset as Jesus. Well, how do we have the mind of Christ? How do we do that? what does it look like? Well, let's look in verses 5 through 8 for some answers to that question. Now, remember we said a moment ago in verses 1 through 4 Paul was focused on the unity of the church in Philippi. Well, here in verse 5, he's going to help explain how they can achieve unity. Well, in verse 5 Paul says that every believer should strive to have the very same attitude as Jesus himself. So, what what Paul does is he says to the church at Philippi, Christ is your model. He's your example. Do what he does. And then he begins to teach about how incredible and amazing Jesus is. It's one of the great passages about who Christ is in the New Testament. It's, it's a powerful passage. In verse 6, Paul explains what he means when he says your attitude should be the same as the, that is Christ. He, he says before Christ came to earth, Jesus existed. He already existed before he came to earth as a baby. He existed, in fact, James, or pardon me, Paul says eternally. He existed forever, and he existed as God himself. Look at, look at what he says here. He didn't consider equality with God something to be exploited or, or something to be grasped. Now, this points to the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity teaches that there's one God who exists as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so what we see in these first few verses here is that Jesus is fully God. He's co-equal with God the Father. He's co-eternal with God the Father. In other words, Jesus has always existed. He's not some lesser substance than God. He's not some secondary or auxiliary God. No, He is God Almighty. That's what Paul is saying. Now, we know that the world religions and the cults here, man, they go way off course. They go way off course. They cannot accept the fact that Jesus is divine, that that he is God Almighty. Mormons, for example, believe that Jesus wasn't always God, but that at one point in time he was a human like you and me. And by his work, by his good works, he achieved divinity, or he became a God. So when we talk about Jesus, we need to ask which Jesus are we talking about? Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, believe that before Jesus came to earth as a man, he was Michael the archangel, that he was God's first creation. It's very different than what you see in the Bible. Or Muslims, for example, believe that Jesus is a good man, that he was a prophet, but not that he was the divine Son of God, that they reject that. Now in 2 Corinthians 11:4, Paul warns the church at Corinth to be careful about those who would come preaching a different Jesus. And so we need, as we reflect on this passage, to recognize that just because someone says Jesus, it doesn't mean they're talking about the one true Jesus, the God of Scripture. And so we need to ask ourselves always, when we're evaluating ideas and thinking through um, people's claims we need to ask, does this square with what the scripture says? And if it doesn't, then we need to be very careful. You see, the scripture teaches that Jesus is fully God, that Jesus is fully et- eternal, that he is eternal, that he is equal with God the Father. Now, in verse 6, Paul says that Jesus didn't use the fact that that he was, that he was God to his own advantage. He He didn't hold on to the privileges of being God and grasp those, those privileges of being so mighty and so exalted. Instead, what does the Scripture say? That, that he didn't hold on to those things, but he emptied himself, taking the nature of a servant. When it talks about Christ emptying himself, it doesn't mean that when he came to earth as a baby that he wasn't God. No, when he came to earth, he was fully God, even when he was on earth. But it does mean that he laid aside some of the privileges of being God. So he came to this earth laying aside some of the privileges of of his divinity and he became a servant. Took on human flesh. Faced the kind of challenges that, that you and I face. Imagine the awkwardness of growing up sometimes. He went through that. Imagine the kinds of humiliations that we experience as people. Well, he was a human. He experienced those kinds of things. He was God in flesh. He was the God-man. And what we see here is that he didn't hold on to the fact that he was God, but instead he poured himself out for the good of others for the blessing of others. Now, at the end of verse 7 and and going into verse 8, we see that Jesus came as a man, but he came in humility. He wasn't born in a royal palace to a powerful and influential family. No, as we read the story of Christ, what do we see? That he came in humility to a working-class family and that he was obedient to God's plan. And where did God's plan take him? Where did the Father's plan take him? It took him to the cross. He was obedient even to death. Now, we need to understand something about crucifixion. Crucifixion was reserved for the lowest classes. Roman citizens wouldn't ordinarily be crucified. As a Roman citizen, you wouldn't expect that. Only if you had done some unbelievable act of treason or or, or some sort of uh, crime in, in that manner. Otherwise, Roman citizens, they weren't crucified. The Jews looked at anyone who was crucified as being specifically cursed by God. And often in the Roman Empire, what you saw is usually it was slaves who were crucified. So think about this. He's God Almighty, God eternal. And he leaves heaven, laying aside many of the privileges of of his being God, and he takes on human flesh. And he dies the most humiliating and cruel death. Wow! Wow! What a Savior. What an unbelievable kind of love. So how do we have the same attitude as Jesus had? Well, we live in conformity to Christ's example. We live in conformity to His example. Robert Chapman was a pastor in England in the 19th century. He was known for his deep and godly love of others. One one man describing him said this, that he was as bold as a lion and as gentle as a nurse. Pen, uh, uh, Chapman pinned these words to, to a missionary friend. He said this, My business is to love others, not to seek that others love me. Now, a story about this pastor, Robert Chapman, is especially compelling. Chapman did a lot of open-air preaching. It was, as was common in, in that time period in England, he would preach out publicly. And one day, a man who owned a grocery store in town came, and he was offended at what Chapman said, and he actually spit on him. And through the years, he continued to, to attack Chapman. And so there was, there was difficulty there, but Chapman didn't respond in kind. He didn't treat this grocer the way that the grocer was treating him. And the story is told of a wealthy family member who came to, to see Robert Chapman. And as he was about to leave, he, he told the pastor, hey, before I leave, I, I wanna buy you some groceries. And, and so he said to Chapman, where should I go? And Chapman sent him. Guess where he sent him? He sent him to that grocery store. And so the wealthy man went to that store and he bought an abundance of groceries, just a lot of groceries. And the grocer said, Well, where do you want these delivered? And the wealthy man told him, I want you to deliver them to the home of Robert Chapman. Well, now the wealthy man knew nothing of the trouble between these two. And the store owner spoke up and said, There must have been a mistake. I think you've gone to the wrong shop. And the man told the grocer, no, this is exactly where Robert sent me. Well, when the grocer went to go and deliver the groceries to Robert Chapman, he went with tears. And he went to Chapman and he asked Chapman to forgive him. And that day, that grocer who had attacked Chapman time after time, he became a believer. He became a follower of Christ. You see, Chapman's humble love was so compelling. It moved him. It moved him to become a Christian. Now, friends, that is the kind of life that God wants us to live. That's living in conformity to Christ. That's the kind of life, the kind of way that we ought to respond to the people that are, that are in our lives. Now, let's think about how this affects our lives and, and our outlook. Well, first, we need to recognize who Jesus is. He's the eternal God, the second person of the Trinity, co equal with the Father, co eternal with the Father. All this to say, He is God. Why is that significant? Well, because of this, being God, He became a humble servant. So reflect on the fact that Jesus gave up His rights as God and became a slave. Became a slave instead of holding fast to the privileges of of being God. No, he came humbly giving up his life. Giving up his life on a cross. So we see what Jesus did. Now now what do we do? How how do we live? Well, Christ calls you and me to this kind of sacrificial love. He calls you to love like that. He calls me to love like that. Now the focus in this passage, if you read all of chapter 2 together is that this would be lived out in the context of a church family. So we would love one another with this kind of love. But obviously, the principles are far-reaching. They should It should affect how we treat those closest. How do we treat those who, who are closest to us? Do we treat them with, with this kind of sacrificial love? Or do we take them for granted, and are we kind of rough and, and gruff and mean? Oh, I'll just... I'll just let it all hang out. It's just my family. It's no big deal. There's nothing about that that's Christ-like. There's nothing about that that models the kind of love that, that God has called us to. It should affect how you treat your co-workers, how you treat your employees, how you treat your boss, how you behave with your neighbors. You see, if we know Jesus, we are called to love others and to sacrifice for the good of others, to walk in humility. So to have the mind of Christ first, live in conformity to the example of Christ. Well, how else do we have the mind of Christ? Let's look together in verses 9 through 11 to answer that question. How else can we have the mind of Christ? In this section, God the Father is acting to honor His Son, Jesus because Jesus had laid down his life in humble obedience God exalted him as we see in verse 9 it isn't that Jesus had earned some kind of reward but it is that the father looked down upon him son upon his son and his faithfulness and he decided to freely honor him now the word here in verse 9 for highly exalted it literally means that he's super exalted This is the only place in the New Testament this word is used. Why? Because it emphasizes Jesus' greatness. God God lifts him up, gives him the highest name. And in verse 11, we see what that name is. The name is Lord. He's given the name Lord, which means that Jesus is worthy of worship, which means that that he administrates the, the plans of God. Now, because of Jesus' identity, not just as God... But as the God-man, now he's able to be a high priest who can sympathize with us. Because he's walked the kind of path that we have had to walk. We see that in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, that he's a great high priest who sympathizes with us. Jesus is Lord. He is exalted. that's That's what this passage is teaching. Now in verse 10, Paul says that at this name, every knee will bow. Now, Paul is uh, using words from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 23 through 25. And this passage talks about every knee bowing at the feet of Yahweh or at the feet of God. And what we see, once again, Paul alluding to this Isaiah passage is an affirmation of the fact that Jesus is God Himself. He's God Almighty at His name. Every knee is going to bow. And this says that every knee in heaven, that is spiritual beings, every knee here on earth, that is people who are alive, every knee under the earth, those who have gone on, who have died, every knee is going to bow. Now, what what does this mean? It means that every single person is going to submit to Jesus. Every single person is going to bow before the Lord at the end of time. When he comes... He's going to come again as a conquering king, and he's going to put all evil down. And when that day comes, every knee is going to bow. In verse 11, Paul says that every tongue is going to confess that, that he is Lord. Now, for those who have called out to Jesus in faith when, when they were alive, oh, these believers, they're going to gladly bow down. They're going to fall down and worship before their Lord. They're going to be delighted and thrilled to bow. It's the end of time and everything's going to be made right. And they bow with joy. But for those who rejected God's revelation of himself, well, those, they face judgment. Hebrews nine twenty seven makes that quite clear. But even these, these who rejected the revelation of, of, of God... Even they would bow. Even they would confess that Jesus is Lord, not in joy, but in deep regret. So the focus here is on the fact that Christ will rule sovereignly. That every knee, every tongue, those who had gladly received Him and those who had rejected Him, every knee will bow. There might have been a time that somebody went around arrogantly and proudly and said, I don't care about any of that stuff. I'll do as I please. I don't believe any of that Jesus stuff. But buddy, when this day comes, that'll all be gone. No, the most arrogant and proud boaster will be on his knees before the King of Kings, before the Lord of Lords. So Christ sovereignly rules over the universe. And we see at the end of verse 11 that this brings glory to the Father. You see, when the Son is honored, the Father is glorified. Remember that God is one who exists as three persons. So when the Son is honored, the Father is honored. And what does this have to do with our attitudes? Remember, Paul began in verse 5 with, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What does this have to do with our attitudes? Well, here, Paul presents Jesus as an example. And the Philippians are reminded that a life of humble service is going to be honored in eternity. A life of humble service is going to be honored in in eternity. Christ sets this example of incredible humble service, and God honors that. God lifts him up. So how do we have the mind of Christ? Well, we saw first... To have the mind of Christ, you live in conformity to his example. But as we've looked together at verses 9 through 11, we see that to have the mind of Christ, you live with eternity in view. Live with eternity in view. I can remember being a kid and sitting in class and just being so, so tired of school. I couldn't wait for the bell to ring, to go to the next class and eventually for the final bell to ring and to be able to go home I can remember one particular day sitting at a desk and it seemed like we just had a stack of worksheets to do. It was so boring. I can remember just looking up at that big clock that was that was on the wall and just thinking, oh, how much longer, how much longer till the bell rings. And that clock was a reminder that eventually I was going to be able to escape. Now, what I didn't realize at that moment in time is that that teacher probably wanted out far more than I did. (laughs) I couldn't imagine it at the time, but I certainly can now. But I would look up at that clock and I would know that the time was coming when I was fixing to get to go home and I was fixing to get to play and I couldn't wait. And this is a reminder, friends, That though we are called to to serve humbly here, sometimes in ways that are difficult, sometimes in ways that are incredibly tiring, that the day is coming when we're going to know the joy of heaven. That final bell is going to ring, and it'll be time to go home. It will be glorious. In heaven, there will be no more temptations to sin, no more temptations to selfish pride or to haughty spirits. No, we'll walk in perfect Christ-likeness. So is a life of humble service, tiring, oh, friends, it can be. But you can look up at that clock and you can know that one day all things are going to be made right. Eternity will be glorious. It will be glorious. So, so how does this affect the way that we live and the way that we think? Well, consider how the Father has honored His Son. He's given Him the greatest name of all. He has granted that He be worshipped. And because of this, we're reminded of the eternal joys that await us if we are in Christ. How does this affect the way that we live and think? Next, trust God as you humbly Serve others and follow Him. Trust God as you humbly serve others and and follow Him. You see, Jesus followed humbly and God God blessed Him in a great way. And friends, as we walk with the Lord, once we know Him and we walk with Him, God's going to honor that. It's going to make things right. In fact, in Philippians 3.14, Paul looked forward to the heavenly prize that was awaiting him. In Philippians 3.21, Paul speaks of the fact that our lowly, broken bodies are going to be transformed into glorious, heavenly bodies. So as we seek to be a humble servant in this life, we look to Christ's kingdom. We look to eternity and to the delight that is ahead. So serve others humbly, serve others with grace just as Jesus did, eternity, it's going to make all the struggles worth it. As we reflect on this passage, we also need to say quite clearly that every person will bow down to the Lord. Every person's going to bow down to the Lord for all who turn to Him, as we said a moment ago, bowing before Him will be a delightful joy. But for those who have rejected God's revelation of Himself, You will bow in the deepest regret. You will bow in utter despair. Make no mistake that all who confess Jesus is Lord in this life, all those will bow with joy. But all those who refuse to bow to the Lord Jesus in this life, well, they will bow to him. Friend, will you bow with joy? At that day, or will you bow with regret? I read the story of a dad who was walking with his disabled son when a car tragically swerved uh, toward the two of them. And this dad, uh, his name was George Tyson, pushed his 32-year-old disabled son out of the way, and he took the full impact. And he died there on the scene. His son was taken to the hospital, treated for for only minor injuries. This man's daughter reflected on her, on her dad's death. She said that her brother Gary was inseparable from her dad because her dad his whole life had loved him and been patient with him and walked alongside him and cared for him. The two would often go on long walks together. They would, they would share that time together as they were doing the day that, that he died. Do you see that this is what Jesus has done for you? Do you see that that he pushed you out of the way and that he jumped in front of the car? That his sacrifice means you don't have to face death? That you can live and you can live eternally? What a Savior! What a Savior! And this is the kind of selfless love that you and I have been called to live out day by day. We may not have the opportunity to live it out in a, in a heroic way as this father did, but it's in the day-to-day, the mundane, where we make the decision to love and to serve, to put our own needs behind and to put the needs of others ahead of ourselves that we will live out the spirit of this passage, that our lives will demonstrate an attitude that is that of Christ. So what have we seen? We've seen that we must have The mindset of Christ, sacrificially giving our lives in service to others. And Paul is saying as we look at these verses within context that this is what's going to make a church that's unified. As every person who's apart wants to lay their lives down and have the attitude of Christ, church is going to be strong. It's going to be strong. Believer, are you living like Jesus? Are you laying your life down for the good of others? What, what change do you need to make? What changes do you need to make at home? The, the way that you treat those closest to you. What changes do you need to make with, within the context of our faith family, our church? What context, or changes do you need to make within the context of work? The way you treat... Fellow employees or the the way that you treat your boss or the way you treat your employees, all of those kinds of things. What changes do you need to make? How do you need to live this out? Ask the Lord to help you have the mind of Christ, a mindset of humble service. If that final bell rang out today, if it were the end of time, I ask you, would you go to heaven? Would you go to heaven? Would you be among those who are gladly bowing at the feet of Jesus? You see, Jesus came and lived a perfect life here on earth. He lived a sinless life, and he was nailed to the cross. He took the the punishment of our sins upon himself. He, He took that punishment, and he made a way for our sins to be completely cleansed and for us to be able to be in a relationship with the Father he was buried, and he came back to life. The question for you is this, have you turned to Jesus in faith? You don't get into a relationship with God by being good. You could never be good enough. None of us good. You get into a relationship with God on the basis of Christ's sacrifice, and that's all. So today, If you haven't turned to Jesus, will you turn to him? Will you call out to him and say, please forgive me for my sins. I want to be your follower. I'm putting my life in your hands. You know what the Bible says? That if you do that, friend, he will save you and he'll never let you go. He'll never let you go. Today, won't you bow the knee to him in joy? Won't you bow the knee to him in joy? Don't wait. Friend, you may not have tomorrow. Let's pray.